we are actually starting a new two-part series that our campus pastors uh, are going to be speaking on, and it's about looking back and looking forward. Uh, With New Year's coming up, it's New Year's Eve today, uh, we really wanted to address kind of the mindset going into New Year that's popular. Uh, you, You know the statement, New Year, New Me. Uh, or people go into the new year, and it's really like, I, I can't wait till this year is over. There's expectation for what's around the corner, but it comes from a place of how we're really not satisfied how the year went. Uh, we're kind of negative about it, and we're just like, man, let's just, let's just scrap that and move on because I, I want to do anything I can to just get away from that that past season and forget and just move on with each new year brings the hope that things can be different. We feel like we're going to be a better person uh, with the new year, setting goals and resolutions, moving ahead and forgetting about the past. Uh, But we believe and really the heart behind this series that we're going to do that this is not the right way to view it. And of course, if I say it like that, you're like, well, that's a no brainer. But subconsciously, that's kind of how we do do it, uh, failing to reflect and just wanting to move on to the next season. But what happened this last year? I know for me, there were so many things that took place. I even, when we were on break, uh, I was with my wife and I was just, we were were kind of reflecting on everything that was going on. And it was really hard to believe how many things uh, took place. One, I got married. Um, I got to go to Israel. We filmed a small group campaign, got to go to the Holy Land. Uh, I was in Mexico for our for our honeymoon. We did uh, a 12-hour live stream last year evangelizing to people. Uh, we had first week where people were filled uh, with the Holy Spirit over an online meeting. People were baptized, water baptized online. Uh, we had uh, uh, my fr- uh, a friend of mine now that was from uh, our New Year's live stream that ended up giving her life to Christ because uh, she found us online that was formerly uh, a Mormon. Uh, we did the Is Death final trip for Easter, where uh, I traveled from Minnesota to Florida. I was hoping to hitchhike uh, and, and preaching the gospel from Minnesota to Florida, asking the question, is death final? Uh, through that, we got to witness from people all around the nation. And uh, through that initiative, we actually reached over a million accounts just by uh, that, doing that on Easter, there's just been so many things. That's just a few things. And as I reflect, uh, it's easy to have, shor- uh, you know, just like a short-term memory like Dory, where I just think about last week, or I think about two weeks, or I think about the current challenge that I'm facing. And because of that, I feel like a failure, and I just want to scrap the past and move on. But we are doing a disservice to ourselves when we just try to escape what was what last year held because there are so many things that took place and so many things I'm sure that you like me can be grateful for. So today we're going to really attack that mindset of wanting to just escape what took place last year and we're going to replace it with something else. Um, We don't want a vacuum to be left there. Uh, We're going to replace it with a spiritual discipline uh, called testifying. What can we testify about this past year? So what is testifying? 
now in the world of Google, YouTube, and TikTok uh, as your online campus pastor. That's where I reside. That's where my people are at, where I go fishing for lost souls. Um, I can tell you that testifying is not something that you'll need to watch a how-to video on. I'm telling you, uh, the amount of how-to knowledge that I have because of random videos I've come across uh, is so unnecessary. Like, for some reason, I know how to scrape calluses off of a a horse's foot. There's just so much useless information. But for testifying, if you're a believer, this is not something you need to look up. Testifying is second nature uh, for someone that's been born again. I remember when I first uh, came to Christ, no one had to tell me uh, to tell people about Jesus or to share what I just experienced. It naturally took place. I remember uh, when I, when I, before I had encountered God, it was a moment where when I left, uh, the place where I had encountered him, I left, uh, as an evangelist, I didn't take a class. I didn't have some like introductory course. I naturally went back to my regular life and my spheres of influence and even, uh, people in the drive through and I couldn't help, but share what God did in my life. I was completely completely blown away and changed. It was something natural. Testifying was natural. I even had a guy, he told me that when he first encountered Christ, he literally went into a Chick-fil-A and and didn't know what to do because he was so excited. He just said, God is real. Just an outburst. It's that, it's just natural. When you encounter the living presence of God, this naturally takes place. Testifying is second nature. You see in Acts uh, Acts 4, 18 through 20, Peter and John were just reprimanded by the synagogue leaders, were punished, and then basically brought before them again and said, listen, you better stop preaching the gospel, otherwise we're going to have to, you know, you're going to get punished some more. And then Peter and John were like, basically, hey, you got to do what you see as right in your eyes. But as for us, even under the threat of being beaten, this is what they say. As for us, and in verse 20, it says, for we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. They were compelled. It wasn't something they were motivated by guilt. It wasn't an expectation. It was they were compelled. There was something so unbelievable that they had experienced. They had been with Jesus, and it changed everything. It dominated conversations. It dominated their identity. It just was, it's natural. When you're born again and you have an encounter with God, it is natural. And you're more, if you're not a Christian, you're more familiar with this concept than you think. Because as human beings, we can't help but share new things that we experience, whether it's a restaurant that we want to recommend, uh, or it's fun facts, or it's uh, movies we're, we're giving reviews on. Speaking of reviews, it reminds me of, um, I was looking at a couple of the Google reviews we had of, uh, about some disgruntled uh, attenders that attended some of our campuses. And I was looking through the Google reviews, and uh, I, th- I found it interesting because as I was reading the one, and it was pretty negative, and I'm like, that just doesn't sound like Bethel's Rock. Uh, you can click on the person, you can look at all the other reviews they gave, and sure enough, it's just this list of giving their opinion on all these different things. Um, in their case, it was a negative experience, but they just wanted to broadcast it. As humans, we just want to broadcast our opinion, broadcast our experience, share our reviews. It's natural. Uh, we share things that we're excited about or you know, hurt by or having a negative experience, unfortunately. You're not motivated 
in the case of testifying by guilt or expectation, again, it is just what you do. The purpose of testifying is to benefit others, but it's also to remind ourselves the first thing that I just explained to you, most are familiar with. If you're a Christian, you've heard about testimonies uh, because it, it's it's constantly talked about in church. And maybe if you went on a mission trip, you, you probably have, have developed the practice of, of sharing your testimony. But you're probably familiar, uh, and this is the pitfall that I think people stumble uh, upon, is you're not familiar with the spiritual discipline. Testifying keeps us from spiritual amnesia. So testifying is a personal discipline. What I see a lot of times, especially formerly in being involved in youth group uh, and, and experiencing it myself, uh, people have this incredible encounter with God. And maybe you're one of those people. You have this incredible encounter with God. It's almost like he's literally in the room with you. You're on this high, like, oh my goodness, I feel like Moses on Mount Sinai, given the Ten Commandments. I feel like I know God like a friend, whether it was at a camp, whether it was at a conference, whether it was, you know, on a Sunday service and you just are bawling at the altar. You have this incredible experience. And the, the, the thing is uh, that I commonly see people get further and further removed from that amazing uh, miracle that took place and God delivering them. And you know what happens? They tend to plateau, and unfortunately, I see a lot of people, especially me being online and debating these type of people, they deconstruct and then eventually deconvert, leaving their first love. And, I, and the problem I think that really starts from is there, haven't, there hasn't been statutes, there hasn't been monuments, uh, there hasn't been discipline set up in their life. Um, to remind them of their first love and by faith continue in this relationship with God. A lot of people end up uh, leaving the faith because they don't put this into practice. So testifying keeps us from that spiritual amnesia where we forget about our first love. We forget about what God has done for us. Testifying is gratitude and reverence towards God, the humility to recognize his hand on our life his hand on our life. When you forget that every good and perfect gift comes from him, your life becomes filled with anxiety because if your life rests in your hands, that is a whole lot of pressure you were not meant to carry. And because of that, you develop pride and trust drawn from your own strength. Because it has everything to do with you just be, and because you get credit for everything that you have in your life, just as easily you feel responsible as how, how you're able and have the ability to lose it all. And that puts a lot of stress and pressure that you weren't meant uh, to carry. Testifying keeps us in humility. There's something interesting uh, that I had read uh, when I was reading this book called Dominion by Tom Holland. And it's going through the history of Christianity, especially in our our culture. And this is this is interesting. You're going to get a kick out of this and pertaining to this self-sufficiency or, or this do-it-all mindset that we have developed as Americans. In 1860, and one of the first public discussions of Charles Darwin's recently published on the origin of species, the Bishop of Oxford, Oxford notoriously mocked the theory that human beings might be the product of evolution. 
and this was a, this was a ridiculous idea for for the culture that we would come from apes. Now you can see obviously that the boot is on the other foot, but there was once a time where that was ridiculous. But I think that that mindset that there is no intelligent designer, there is no credit that we have to give to a divine being, uh, it really fits nicely uh, uh, with the the this mindset of a, really an atheism uh, and a secular humanism uh, mesh nicely with the American dream mindset that it's up to us. We got to get our hands dirty. Uh, and these are a couple statements spiritually now, how we view God, how the shifted focus uh, has become with our mindset spiritually towards God. You probably heard this statement, God helps those who help themselves. Here's another one. And this is th- these are statements that I've, I've looked up. So it's not just me having just this biased perspective. This is literally what I looked up. It says, why do you, this is a question someone asked, why do people pray? instead of going out and actually solving their problems. These statements really reflect where we're at as a culture and how we view God. Our problems are within our power to solve, so there's really no need for God. God is nothing more than a ladder to help me reach what I can't get, what I can't get my hands on, to help me reach the top shelf. He's a means to get what I really want. We had a, someone on our podcast, by the way, if you, if you don't follow our podcast or you don't listen to our podcast with Pastor James and I, you should go over there and subscribe to that channel. It's Experience of Truth Podcast. Anyways, shameless little plug there. But we had uh, someone from uh, Apple Valley that attends. He came on our pro- podcast and he's, he's Cuban. And so I was curious and I ask people that are from different cultures because I'm always curious about the mindset about spiritual spirituality and the supernatural and God and how they view it versus how we view it as Americans. And this is this is interesting because what he said uh, uh, was this and referring to how Americans and, and why there is such a lack of, of belief in the supernatural or spirituality. He says, this is quote, Americans are too self-sufficient. They have everything they need. If they want to accomplish something, they can just work for it. And if that plan doesn't work, he said, uh, they have a plan B, C, D, all the letters of the alphabet. People here feel entitled. They don't need anyone or anything, including God. How true is that? As Americans, we're spiritually illiterate because we are blinded with materialism and a belief in ourself. When we are sick, we have medication. When we are hungry, we have grocery stores. When we are lonely, we have our phones. We are too self-sufficient. And this really leads into um, what I want to talk about today is setting up, testi- uh, testifying and setting up monuments in our life that would humble us and help us focus on really who runs things and keep our eyes on really what this life is all for. And then the only thing that matters, which is that God uh, is on the throne, that God is Lord of the universe. And I wasn't even planning on actually preaching on this specific scripture, but when I was in Devo's on my break, I'm like, oh my goodness, this is literally uh, what what we're talking about and, and preparing for this new year. I'm like, this is, the, the resemblance is just so, it, it's way too good for me not to use. 
And uh, I feel like God gave me uh, a word. And this, is, and this is really interesting because when I was reading in Exodus, uh, I couldn't help see, this is the resemblance I couldn't help see between us and Pharaoh. And if you're unfamiliar with the Exodus story and what the heck I'm talking about, let my people go, uh, the DreamWorks, Prince of Egypt. If you haven't seen that, oh my goodness, please watch that movie. If not the movie, listen to the soundtrack because it'll bless your life. Uh, God sends, if you're not familiar, God sends plagues on Egypt to set his people, the Hebrews, free from their oppression uh, of Egypt, making them slaves. And Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, in his stubbornness, refuses the God of the universe, even after seeing signs and wonders. And when I was reading it, and uh, I've become actually more recently more fascinated with the Exodus story and what God uh, did in setting the people Israel free. Uh, but this time when I read it, the interesting thing that I hadn't really noticed before, or I really didn't see what, what was really going on beneath the surface, is that I really read the Exodus story and God freeing his people Israel just as Good guys and bad guys, Pharaoh bad, Egypt bad, God hates them, he's against them, he's setting his people free. But the interesting thing uh, about this is Egypt and slaves, the Israelites, right? Israel cries out to their God, God hears their cry, and acts and fights on their behalf and setting them free. But listen, he's the God of the universe, if, if, if Egypt was really the enemy, if God really wanted to free the people of Israel, why not, why extend the process and sending all these different plagues and ask and sending his servant Moses to ask Pharaoh if he could set his people go politely? Why does the God of the universe humble himself to even engage with a, a mere mortal like Pharaoh and his refusal and disobedience to the God of the universe? Why not? Think about it. God could have just wiped Egypt out like he did in Sodom and Gomorrah, and then the Israelites would have been free. If that was the goal in destroying the enemy, that's literally what he could have done. It's as simple as that. But this is interesting what I, what I noticed. Instead of just obliterating their oppressor, he uses this as a stage to reveal his identity and his power as God who reigns supreme over all creation. And the plagues in which God had sent were a strategy in humbling his opponent who thought himself to be God. Pharaoh thought that he was God. And the plagues, interesting enough, this is really interesting, strategically fell on areas of life supposedly protected by Egypt's gods, thus demonstrating the Lord's power over the gods of the world's mightiest nation. And chance after chance, after plague, after plague, after plague, Pharaoh would relent and he would repent and say, okay, stop this. I'll let your people go. And then he would harden his heart and change his mind after it would stop chance after chance. And as soon as danger relented, he hardened his heart. Exodus 8.15 uh, says, but when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite or a uh, meaning a short period of rest or relief from something difficult or unpleasant, he hardened his heart. How familiar does that sound? Sounds pretty familiar. I know for myself, I've done this before, before I, I fully submitted my life to Christ. 
I played this game. God, God, uh, I've seen way too many people ha- listen to this. You'll, you'll probably see, you probably see this as sounding familiar when I, when I say this next statement. I've seen way too many people fail the Exodus test by adopting the heart of Pharaoh, saying things like this, and you're probably familiar with this. God, if you get me out of this, God, if you get me out of this, you probably heard that a, th- a thousand times in near-death experience testimonies. People come close to death or they're drowning or there's some impossible situation that they can't help themselves, that they won't be able to get out of. They cry out to God because it's their only solution, saying, God, if you get me out of this, I'll serve you. But what happens? When danger or the challenge passes over, we go back to where we were before. Do you remember what I had just said about the plagues and the purpose of why God strategically sent the plagues. Again, it wasn't just to obliterate his enemy. It was that his enemy, it, he, they would be informed that the God of the universe reigns supreme, not these puny gods that have control over areas of life, that there is one God responsible for all creation that all humanity must come into submission to. It was a mercy for God to send the plagues to prove that he is their Lord, that he is God. He was informing uh, the people of Egypt. The Egyptians, and this is, this is the Exodus 7, 5, this is the verse supporting that. Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. When will they know that he is the Lord? When I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. See, the central purpose of the plagues for both Israel and Egypt was that they would know who he is. I am the Lord. The central purpose was that he, they would know, both would know who he is. The Exodus, God setting his people free, was God revealing his identity to the world while simultaneously answering the cry of his people, which is such an amazing thing. Our God is so good, so good. We are missing the point if we assume that he was solely removing hardship concerned only for the well-being of Israel, which is most of us how we live our lives. That's why we attribute blame to him when things don't work out in our favor. And rather than stepping into obedience and submitting and recognizing that he is Lord, we try to force we try to force God into our own will rather than stepping in obedience into his will. But where did the plagues attack? They attacked areas thought to be protected by Egypt's gods. Why did God do that? Why did God attack the gods that Egypt worshiped so that they would know that it's God that's responsible for all creation, that they would fall down and worship and know that he is Lord. It was a mercy. God afflicted those areas to show who is in control. And I think some of us, I think some of the things we deal with, we ask God to relent, but fail to see it's God's hand working in mercy because God's not going to compete. God won't bless what's on the throne of your heart. God's not going to compete what's on the throne of your heart. I had someone tell me that when I was praying for things and I was asking God for things and I was facing, I was facing a lot of hardship that was really brought on myself and my own stubbornness and pride rather than stepping into God's plan and being obedient to him and submitting to his authority. I asked God to bless what was on the throne of my heart, whether that was basketball uh, or whether that was a relationship 
that ended up being toxic because it ended up being like an Egyptian God and I was God and wanted and wanted God to step into my life and he is going to bless my life and he's only there as a ladder so I can reach things that I couldn't obtain by myself. I just was using him, but God won't compete for the throne of your heart. And so the story goes, Pharaoh refused God by hardening hardening his heart in disobedience. And so his fate was sealed. And because of his stubbornness, Egypt would pay dearly. In dealing with Pharaoh, God first had to inform his mind and then break his will. Pharaoh's problem wasn't that there wasn't insufficient uh, intellectual evidence. That was not the issue, and it's not your issue if you don't yet believe in the God of the universe and you're like, Alex, I don't really necessarily have a testimony. I have nothing to testify about. I've never had an encounter with God. The evidence is plain and simple in Romans 1. It talks about how simply creation is evidence enough that God of the universe is worthy of worship, that humans are without excuse. So you might not have had plagues uh, or hail falling from the sky, uh, but the evidence to believe in God is sufficient. And, and even more so than that, God offers an invitation now to us that if you would simply seek him, you would know him. But the problem is we would rather play God rather than submit uh, to God. And, and like Pharaoh, his will had to be broken after given the chance to be informed about who this God was his problem wasn't evidence. His heart had to be broken and made soft towards God. Egypt and Pharaoh would not give God his firstborn, Israel. So God took the firstborn of Egypt and the last plague, God will pass through the land of Egypt and he struck down all firstborns in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, Exodus 12, 12. And finally, Pharaoh knew that the Lord God was greater than all the Egyptian gods and was greater than Pharaoh himself, who was thought to be God. And still, as, as gruesome as that sounds, interesting enough that even the plague and the destroyer of the firstborn that actually set the Israelites free, where Pharaoh was like, get out of my hair, I'm done. I recognize that you're God. I'll let your people go. I submit to you. There was a God over fertility that would have protected that that line. And it was also an attack on Pharaoh himself, who thought to be God, that wouldn't submit in humility to God's rule, which is interesting, but that's a whole other, whole other sermon. And so with that last plague brought the Israelites freedom. So we see how God worked in informing the hardened and stubborn heart of of Pharaoh and how our resemblance to Pharaoh is uh, really, I think, sometimes a little bit too similar where we want God to step into our life and we want God to bless what we want and we see fit according to our will rather than submitting in humility to who, uh, to his will and listening to his voice and obedience. We, we, we just draw on the resemblance there, but there's another character in the story that I want to focus on, and it's really going to highlight how we can stay in this, in this state of humility and recognition that he is Lord, where we don't fall away and have and commit spiritual amnesia, where we walk away from the Lord. And this is the discipline that I started off saying that we're going to talk about and see in the people of Israel, which is testifying. And it was with the institution of Passover. The same night, the last plague took um, Egypt's firstborn. 
<clears throat> Israel had been given instructions that to this day is still celebrated called the Passover. The Passover literally is a memorial, is a testimony of God's deliverance of his people that is not just something they just talk about. It's not just something they remember or recorded a testimonial video and they watch every year. It literally encapsulates all aspects of their life. And in testifying, it's not just speaking orally. Uh, it, it literally is traditions that have been set in place, commanded by God. And just like the reason of why the plagues were sent, this process of tradition and the spiritual discipline of testimony was set in place because and for that well, not because and for, was so that the people of Israel would know that he is Lord, that they would know that he is Lord. God used the Passover, these instructions, uh, as a rescue to deliver Israel from the plague of the firstborn, the destruction of the firstborn that afflicted Egypt. God made a distinction between Egypt and Israel uh, but with faith that they would obey the instructions, that's how they were saved. God did the work in faith and obedience. Israel was saved by listening to what God had commanded. And as an institution, the second reason, to remember God's rescue and deliverance for Israel through every generation. And I'm going to read the instructions because this is what really provoked my thought and how uh, I, what I love about what happened and took place in the Passover, that it wasn't just a one-time occurrence, that Israel was just called to forget, that this was a strategic experience that the Israelites would never forget what their God had done. And it wouldn't just be for that current generation. It wouldn't just be for that season, but it would change the, literally how they live their lives, everything. And it would also be told to their future generations so that their future generations would be blessed in knowing that their Lord is God of the universe. So interesting. And this is where we see the instructions first put into place in Exodus 21 uh, through 27. Then Moses, this is right before uh, it all happened. Then Moses called all the el uh, elders of Israel and said to them, go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clan uh, clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of the house until the morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. So that was the instructions that initially saved them. Now this is the tradition that they shall observe commanded by God. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? Why are we doing this, dad? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. This, this is where it all started. Their remembrance 
And this is interesting because later you'll see the instruction and instituted uh, after they were set free. It, it, it literally involved every aspect of their, of their life, their diet, when they ate the Passover lamb and how they were to eat the Passover lamb, their lives and their wealth going on from them there, their firstborn sons, it says everything that comes out of the womb is first to be given to the Lord. Now, obviously, they're not going to sacrifice their kids. And so their kids, their firstborns were to be redeemed by the sacrifice of a lamb. So interesting. That's a whole other sermon as well. And also, the, the tradition and the testifying literally restructured their calendar. This is what it says in Exodus 12 too. It says, it shall be the first of the month for you. Everything was restructured, moving from their deliverance. It wasn't only instructions uh, to keep them safe and, and protect their well-being, but it was tradition that was to be set up that would bless generations after them. And the purpose was, again, that they would know that he is Lord. God set Israel free, and I want you to write this down right here. God set Israel free but the institution of Passover, the institution of testifying, this discipline that was set in place was so that they'd remain free. God did work on fighting on their behalf, but it was their trust and obedience that set them free. The remembrance of Passover kept them in that humility, lest they become like Pharaoh reverting back to pride when imminent danger relented. When they were to reach the promised land that God had promised uh, as an inheritance to the people of Israel, quickly could have forgotten and quickly could have start to think that this was their own making, that they deserved this, that they had the pride, that, that, the, that the self-sufficiency that we as Americans have let creep in, that you know God helps those who help themselves what could quickly uh, creep in if this was the discipline that was not set in place. This was set in place so that they would remain free, so that they would know what? Again, I'm going to say it over and over, that they would know that he is Lord. This was shown when God placed the traditions and Passovers of the firstborn to his people, telling the elders to teach the next generation. Their deliverance not only, it not only served a purpose in hearing the cries of his people to protect their well-being, but the purpose was shaping their identity as a nation and as a people, that, which is crazy, guys. Listen to this. As, as a nation and as a people that is still transformed today. I was just in Israel, and they still celebrate this. Still celebrate this. No leaven in their bread. So it's like a little cracker that you eat at communion. It, like it's disgusting, but it was kind of cool being there and being able to celebrate that. Uh, but it's so interesting that literally what was first instituted thousands of years ago is celebrated today as a spiritual discipline to remember that their Lord reigned supreme, that their Lord delivered them from the hands of the Egyptians that their deliverance served a purpose in shaping their identity. One of my favorite verses in this whole story is when speaking to Moses and the people, this is what he says. And I think some of you need to, some of you need to have the humility to recognize this. 
Uh, you need to ha- you need to sit back, relax, and and enjoy the show of what God's going to do in your life, and trust that He is Lord. Exodus fourteen four fourteen says this. This is this is literally such a an epic statement. Of what God says, the and some of you need to put this on your screensaver. The Lord will fight for you, and you only have to be silent. The Lord will fight for you, and you only have to be silent. I think that. And in Psalms 46, 10, it sounds something familiar. Be still and know that I'm God. This is probably the hardest command today uh, for us. I literally saw a a lady, she posted a a video and this revelation of how uh, her husband told her to go for a silent walk, they called it. Just go for a walk without music, without a podcast, without anything else. And she had this revelation coming back. She's like, oh my goodness, like I actually heard my conscience. I heard myself like, you know, like I was able to think like clearly, like I'd never really done that before. Like this was a revelation for her. And I thought that was so, it's so funny, but it's so relatable to how we are uh, today. The world gets louder, uh, but God doesn't raise his voice. But those who are willing to quiet themselves and get away and seek God will find him. The problem is we can't stand sitting in silence by ourselves, whether it's uh, the regret or inadequacy or anxiety. Uh, So we busy our minds with music and entertainment and work and a future motivation of how things could be because we're not satisfied or content with now. You can look ahead to the New Year's and make resolutions and have motivations. That's not wrong. But where is it coming from? Is it coming from a place of failure or is it coming from a place of victory? A confidence that would say, it's if he did it before, I believe and trust in him that he will do it again. And all I have to do is trust that he is fighting on my behalf and I only need to be silent and be still and know that he is God. Don't let negativity or doubt overtake you this new year. And what's interesting is that in these traditions, and actually this is why the Israelites ended up falling away and not uh, receiving their Messiah. It talks about in Romans how in these traditions that God had commanded them to keep in remembrance of what God did in delivering them from the hands of Egypt was that it was to be done in faith. When God instituted this test testifying, what's interesting about this and what we can take away in looking into the next year is how God instituted the traditions that Israel would celebrate in remembrance. Did you know that God had not yet performed their deliverance when he had instituted the Passover celebration? Ooh, someone needed to hear that. Someone needs to hear this this morning. When God instituted the traditions of the Passover, they were doing it in faith had not yet been had not yet been set free but they but part of the instructions that would save them from the plague was that they would do this in faith and it would be set up as a tradition moving forward this is this is interesting faith is essential it was the lack of faith that led Israel to be cut off a misplaced zeal, drawing faith from the traditions, only looking back, but never looking forward and seeing what God is doing 
in the present. Uh, what's interesting, what when they were celebrating and then when they were eating the Passover dinner with a belt on your waist and sandals on your feet and a staff in your hand, the lamb, the Passover lamb had been eaten in faith, trusting that their deliverance promised to Israel was present. Amen. Oh my goodness, that's a word right there. This is this trusting that the deliverance promised to Israel was present before they had even been set free. And that they would walk in that deliverance immediately. Faith was essential in keeping of Passover. By faith, he, Moses, kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. And that's the, and, and why I, why we're, we're speaking on this and reflecting back it's not only having a historical view of Jesus where we and this is what I see a lot of people do it's in every denomination where where we where we develop this historical mindset of what Jesus has done and what he is going to do but we fail to recognize what he's doing in the present God's a historical Jesus God's somewhere in the future where I'm going to meet him one day in the clouds but you don't live in the kingdom kingdom of God today. And it's because you practice traditions, but you have no faith. You step in looking to the new year, but you have no faith. You want to bend the will of God to fit what you're doing rather than listening to the voice of God and stepping into his will in obedience, recognizing that he is the God of the universe. He is the one you submit to. And with the motivations and the resolutions that you look ahead to, you can have faith and trust that the Lord fights for you. It's not this, these traditions and these statutes that you set in place in your life is not just to remember that God will never do this ever again, but it's something that we can in faith understand that if he did it, then if he did the impossible, if he accomplished that, then I have faith stepping into this next season. I have faith stepping into the promised land and I see the promised land. It's inhabited with giants that I don't, we look like grasshoppers to them. This is literal quotes from the Israelites when they were looking at their inheritance in the promised land. We look like grasshoppers to them. The giants don't become that. They, they, they look pretty average when you have faith and you look back and you recognize what he did then he's faithful and walking with you in the seasons in the now that you can have faith and stepping into your next season faith drawn from from what God had did previously did you know that literally this is moving away from scripture and just introducing the facts about how reflecting and testifying literally affects our health gratitude helps reduce stress hormones in the body uh, according to research uh, research presented by UC Davis Health, gratitude is related to 23% lower levels of cortisol, the hormone that uh, creates stress in the body. Gratitude blocks toxic emotions such as resentment, envy, depression, and regret. You have probably heard me uh, share this uh, a thousand times before about how God saved my life and how I've been born again. And, and just like how I just did in, in beginning the sermon. But this is not something that I just repeat uh, and, and then walk away from. It's just like a, a story that I just say when I share my testimony. It's literally where God has brought me back to my first love and I've treasured it in my heart where I never can forget it. And when I look back, not just at my deliverance where he saved me and I was born again believing in Christ, it's something where God has, there, there's been trials and things that I've walked through, but with each trial now as I've matured spiritually, 
eventually, and I'm still maturing. I don't got to figure it out. I'm only 24. But with each trial comes an opportunity to see an expectation to, oh my goodness, God, I, I cannot wait to see what you do in this and growing and shaping me. But I'm constantly brought back to those times where God has has uh, has has re- reconciled my family from a dad that struggled with uh, drug drug addiction that we literally thought that our family was obliterated to my siblings now being in ministry to to uh, me where I, I I went from college playing basketball that was my only qualifications to being obedient to the call of God in my life to being blessed where I am now at Bethel's Rock. I'm literally crying this morning uh, as I'm preaching to you guys about testifying and I'm looking around in this room. Uh, and what God and the people that God has blessed me with from a pastor, James, a mentor to staff and coworkers around me to the church and the people that I get to serve. I literally don't know how I deserve it. And looking back, uh, I think this is something that you, like you need. It's 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 crucial that you implement this into your spiritual discipline. And it's something that may have been missing because you're constantly looking ahead, waiting till you feel like you're worthy, that, you, that you're good enough. And the motivation of each new year is a result of the insecurity that you feel that you're not content with who you are. But I'd encourage you, friend, look back at where God has brought you from. Practice that discipline because testifying brings you to the reality. I've even done this myself and why God brings me back to my testimony because I remember how in the world am I sitting in front of you preaching to you right now? It literally makes no sense. I'm telling you right now, there's no reason I should be here right now speaking to you. But what God had done, it's God's hand on my life and his favor and him fighting on my behalf where I am where I'm at today. And God constantly brings me back to that where I look back and I'm like, God, because I get in this mode and you can get in this mode just like Pharaoh, where we think we're the gods of our our life. And it's up to us to change what next year is going to look like rather than recognizing and being still that he is Lord and the God of Israel fights on our behalf. And like Exodus 14, 14 says, all you got to do is be silent, be still and know that he is God. The deliverance that God has brought you from serves a purpose, not just in your well-being that you would be comfortable for a moment. And when the danger removes, remove is removed, that you would forget about him. The deliverance and what God has blessed you with serves a purpose that you would know that he is God. I challenge you this morning, reflect on that. Where has God brought you from? Literally, just quiet your mind right now and think about that. And I want you to write it down. Before you make New Year's resolutions and looking ahead what's around the corner and the grass is greener on the other side because you're unsatisfied with the now, be still, recognize he's God, and start creating this discipline of testimony And treasure these things in your heart. Look back, things you might have forgotten, and write it down. Write it down. Look back before you look ahead. I want to pray for you guys this morning as we we close today. 
God, I pray uh, for my friends that are watching on the other side of the screen. God, I pray that they don't remember anything that I had to say, but God, I, I believe in faith that the Holy Spirit was speaking to their heart. And there's things that I didn't even anticipate trying to communicate that you are specifically communicating to each one of your children uh, separately. God, I pray that they would have a revelation of who you are, that you're the God of the universe that fights on their behalf, that they don't have to go and try to help themselves or make it make it happen, but they can sit in silence and trust in you, listen to your voice, and step into your will in obedience. Father, I pray that this would be a discipline that they would practice, that they wouldn't fall into spiritual amnesia, that they wouldn't develop the heart of Pharaoh that would lead them into pride, being the God of their own lives. God, I pray that you would break their will. Would you inform them of who you are and soften their heart to your commands, God? God, as they hear this this morning, would they believe in faith that you are Lord if they haven't ever before? God, speak to your children this morning, and I pray that this next year would look a whole lot different as they meditate and look back and reflect on what you have brought them out of, Lord. In your name, amen.